0: friday ladies and gentlemen and that means it's time for another podcast and actually today i have two so i have two great guests for you today so the next one's going to be at 2 p.m but for now let's focus on this one so if you're joining me over on youtube please subscribe to the channel i'm actually trying to trying to build an audience over there as well I figured the platform is there i'm online why not right so go ahead and subscribe to that channel for me if you join me on facebook please like and share because we want to spread the good word right? Don't just keep all this good information to yourself. And if you're brand, brand new, we are all about overcoming obstacles, about defying the odds, taking what life gives us and how we navigate through it to get to where we want to be. Because everybody goes through some road, roadblocks. Some people let it stop them. Other people destroy the roadblocks. Some people dig under it. Some people go around it. And so... As you all know, I've had guests from all over the world on all six continents, and everybody has some type of story to tell. My guest today is no different. But before we get there, if you have no idea who I am, this one is for you. I started doing workshops and doing groups If you don't have the clarity of vision whatever next thing you get you're not going to see it through because you don't have the clarity of vision so the, the point of my pain was being told you will never run or jump again and all that stuff i was like you know what like i want to be able to take this even bigger if you know why you do what you do, you have to know how to charge for what you do. That's how you're going to change your life, and that's how you're going to leave a legacy for your children and your family. You've know your worth. And that's me. All right, so for today's Teachable Moment, I want you this weekend, I want you to do something that you love to do that you haven't done in a while. Like no matter, no matter what it is, it, whether it's dancing, whether you want to you give yourself a massage, and you like playing sports, no matter what it is, just find something that you love to do that you haven't done in a while and just go do it. It's, that, that, it's that, that simple. Just carve out the time, you know, just spend the money, just, just get it done. Just get it done. Cause too, too many times. And I hear it in my travels all the time where people are just so miserable and you don't have to be. You don't have to be. Yes, life throws us lemons, and I say it all the time. There's someone that's about to take their last breath that would kill for your bad day, you know. So don't let bad moments like destroy the entire day. I have bad moments, but like I don't get on here and regurgitate about my bad moment. You know, the the, the quicker you can get to the other side of that bad moment is where all the good stuff lies. Right, so yes, yeah, so you know, we all go go through stress. We all go through some level of, of anxiety. But when you actually step back and do the things that you enjoy, it brings you back to that feel good state. For me, it could be something as simple as just going for a walk. But as you all know, I'm an athlete. So when I'm playing sports, like I have a Spartan race tomorrow, I have volleyball tomorrow night. You know, and but the big thing is I try to walk all, as much as I can. Just put on the headphones, put on some good music, just go for a walk. Couple of deep breaths, let that moment pass, and then you can get back to doing what it is you got to do. So that's today's teachable moment. So now my guest today. So you all know I don't really, I don't really screen the guests because I like the the uh, I like the conversation to just free flow, and we'll see where it goes. But I actually dug dug a little bit on this one, and she's got she's got some stories to tell. So we're gonna bring her on and. We're going to just dive right in. So she is a writer, she's an entrepreneur, and she is a lover of life. So welcome, Kim Sorrell. Hello.
1: Hi, Robert. So nice to be here. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. Did
0: I pronounce your last name right? Because I didn't ask you before we went live.
1: Yeah, Sorel. Okay. All exactly.
0: right. Yep. Good, good, good. I do not know there was like, like some accents on there, you know, so I don't <laughs> want to go hacking your name up on you. <laughs> All right. So where, where are you joining us from?
1: Uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan.
0: Grand Rapids. Mm-hmm. All right. Where? What part of Michigan is that in?
1: It's West Michigan. I'm about uh, thirty minutes from Lake Michigan, okay. so a couple is hours it- from Chicago. Chicago's just on the other side of the lake.
0: Okay. Is that is that near Kalamazoo?
1: And north of Kalamazoo.
0: No, yeah, because uh, my my niece is out there. She lives in, in Kalamazoo. So I believe she's a teacher out there. Nice, mm-hmm. nice, nice stuff. All right. So, are you originally from there?
1: I am. I am. I uh was raised here, been been in this area my whole life.
0: Okay. You you know there's warmer parts in the world, right?
1: <laughs> you know, I used to say to my parents, why didn't you move when I was really young? Before I developed friendships and relationships that make me want to stay yes. in this area. In Florida, we should be somewhere, I guess.
0: I say it every year, too, because I'm up here in Rhode Island. So same thing. It's just it's starting to get cold now. You know, We come in the morning. The frost is on the cars. I'm like, why? Why? Why do I stay here? <laughs> and then spring, summer, fall comes and I love it again. And then winter comes. I'm like, I, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> so, right. It's like once right. the kids are grown, though, I said, you guys are going to be visiting me somewhere where it's warm year round. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Oh, Lord. Oh. All right. So let's dive in. So uh, how would you describe yourself?
1: Ah, uh, good question. Um, I well, I am an entrepreneur. I started my first business right out of high school. Okay, so I've been in business my whole life. Uh, I've had several businesses throughout the years. My longest running business, I'm actually about to sell. Uh, Thirty eight years in business,
0: awesome.
1: and um, so entrepreneur. I'm a mother, a grandmother. Uh, I uh, love people. I uh, a coach. I've coached for years and years and years. Volleyball is one of the sports I've coached. Nice. Volleyball, and basketball. Yes. Yep. Yeah. I'm passionate about sports, mm-hmm. and uh, but now my passions have kind of changed a bit. I went through something a few years ago. Uh, I was diagnosed with cancer, mm-hmm. and um, started writing about it because I didn't find a book in the store that told me what it was going to be like to go through. Really go through what I was going through. But four months after I was diagnosed, my husband of almost 29 years was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And he passed away six weeks later. I I continued to write during that time. And that ended up actually being my first book. But I uh, questioned life after that. I, I was in love with that man. We had a great relationship. He was a wonderful guy. We worked together. We coached together. We did everything together. And all of a sudden, you know, half of me was gone, and I wasn't sure what life was gonna bring and what I was supposed to do. And so um, I got through my medical stuff, and then I wondered what the next step was. And I ended up taking the job as a part-time bookkeeper for a nonprofit organization on January 1st, 2010.
0: All right, let me let me pause you right there. January first, twenty ten. We'll we'll pick back up there. Cause you, you can't just gloss over everything you just said. <laughs> All right. We got we gotta talk about this stuff. All right. So let's first talk about starting a business right out of high school. How did that come about?
1: Yeah, well, it's kind of interesting. Um my my dad, my parents were entrepreneurs. Uh, but my dad actually sold his business out to a conglomerate. He ended up losing his job. Right yeah. when I was graduating from high school, yeah, and I have two brothers, one one year older and one two years older. So we were bang, 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 graduating yeah. from high school,
0: yeah.
1: And yeah. my parents wanted to do something to help us pay for college, so uh, we took out a fifty thousand dollar loan, mm-hmm. and we bought an old um, John Whitcomb furniture manufacturing building that was empty, and we leased space. Okay. and so we we did that and then we bought another building then we bought another building but we all did it together yeah. and um one of my brothers became a veterinarian and so he got out of the business early uh, my mom passed away in 1990 she was out of the business uh, obviously then so it was my brother my dad and I and then but a lot of businesses throughout the years we bought a grocery store in St. Croix that was fun for a while we mm. um, bought a golf course um uh, went into the catering business, uh, did a lot of different things over the years. Um, and so so that was my beginning, I guess, was just figuring out a way to pay for college. We started this business.
0: Wow, that that's amazing. I expected you you just say you were like selling supplements or something. <laughs> 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 Wasn't expecting all that. <laughs> that's, that's great though. So so you got the bug for it, young then.
1: I did. I did. Yeah, for sure. For sure.
0: That's great. So now our Your kids, entrepreneurs?
1: Well, two of them work with me. Two of my kids work with me. Um, One of my kids is in the Dominican Republic. He's actually Dominican. We adopted him from the Dominican Republic. And he runs what we do down there. We have schools and um, water projects and community projects, medical center, uh, vocational training. And he runs it all, does a great job. And then I have a son who... um, because of my, my cancer, my husband's cancer kind of took a turn when he was in his undergrad and he ended up getting his PhD he's a cancer researcher, cancer biologist. He's actually in his third year of medical school right now because he wants his MD along with his PhD. Okay. And then my last child is, uh, um, he uh, was a nuclear engineer, an electrical engineer, and he works for NASA. Wow. <laughs> yeah.
0: So they awesome. kind of all
1: do their own thing.
0: Love it. See, and all of that was probably started from the foundation that you that you had.
1: Yeah. Well, hopefully we've, we've taught them how to be hard workers and to go after their dreams and do what they feel like they're led to do and, and make a difference in the world. Absolutely. You know, do something to make a difference in the world.
0: Awesome. Good. That, that's something you should definitely be very, very proud of. All right. So, so walk me through you getting your cancer diagnosis. Like, were you feeling symptoms or anything? And then you went to the doctor or there something that came up in a routine exam? Like, just take me through the whole thing.
1: Sure. Yeah. Actually, uh, uh, I was of an age, you know, I was in my 40s. And you're supposed to get a mammogram mm-hmm. every year or I guess whatever, whatever it is. And I fought that. I thought it was just a way for the medical community to make some money. Mm -hmm. And I went for a routine physical and my doctor said, you really need to do this. You really need to go in. And so I went in kicking and screaming and Mm -hmm. said, I don't really need this. You know, this is a waste of time, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. But the mammogram led to an ultrasound that led to a biopsy that led to a phone call on a Friday afternoon saying, uh, the tests are back and you have breast cancer and blah, blah, blah. That's kind of all I heard. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause there's scary words to hear for sure.
0: So what, what was your initial thoughts?
1: Well, my initial thoughts were cancer is a really bad word and people die from cancer
0: Yeah,
1: and, and, and can be a long fight and a long battle. And uh, so I, I knew I was gonna fight whatever I needed to fight, but it was scary. It was scary to think about going through that.
0: And what was it like telling your husband?
1: Well, it was Friday afternoon, like I said, and I had a couple of grandbabies in the bathtub and got this phone call and uh and immediately called my husband. And I was blurring, I was crying so hard. He was saying, What's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? And 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 I finally got it out. He was at work and he, seconds, it seemed like seconds later, I don't even know how the time passed, but he was there mm. and he grabbed me and he just held me, uh-huh. which for the husbands out there, that is the exact right thing to do. Just, he just helped me. And that was exactly what I needed. It was just for him to yeah. hold on to me and- so he took the ride along with me, the biggest supporter for sure. Yes. All right.
0: So did you sleep that night?
1: <laughs> you know, I don't think I did get a lot of sleep that night. Uh, the next day I went to a bookstore uh, because I was looking for something I wanted to know. Like I said earlier, I wanted to know what what is it like? What am I facing? And everything was so medical or so depressing. And neither one of those things was going to do me any good at that point. And so um, I started writing just as a way to update family and friends instead of calling everybody. Hey, I'm going to the doctor tomorrow. I'm going to the doctor tomorrow. Yeah, it was, you know, that many years ago that email was the thing rather than posting things on Facebook. And um, so I would uh, email updates. And before I knew it, 5000 people were reading my emails. Uh, Because it was much more than just, I'm going to the doctor tomorrow. It was how I was feeling, what I was going through, what life was bringing.
0: Okay. So when you say what life was bringing, so like what, so how did, so how did your immediate life change? Right. So you found out what would say on a Friday afternoon. So like just from that moment, just how did your outlook on things change?
1: My word, you know, perspective changes greatly, right? I mean, you know, especially when you're younger, you think you're immortal somehow, right? You know, you're in your teens, your twenties, you don't know that many people who have died. You know, you, you you think you're just gonna live until you're 107 or you know whatever you're gonna do. Mm-hmm. And the older you get, the more more people you lose, the more you realize that maybe you're not going to be around forever, but certainly I I was 47 years old. You don't get breast cancer when you're 47 years old and you don't die when you're 47 years old like that. That's not natural. You know, that doesn't seem natural. And so uh, I'm
0: 47. Tread lightly.
1: uh, There you go. So, (laughs) So, you know, I mean, you're not, you're not thinking, well, tomorrow you could wake up and have this diagnosis. Yeah. And, but it immediately put things in perspective. You know, you immediately look at, well, what's really important in life? And, you know, it's not so much the making the money. It's not so much, you know, some of the things that are superficial, but it's the relationships and the love we have for each other and, and time, time to spend together and without just creating the empire.
0: Yes. So you start treatment now. And what was that process like?
1: Well, there were so many decisions to be made. I had no idea. I didn't know you had choices. I just thought I would go to a doctor and a doctor would say, this is what you do. This is what you have. This is how it goes. This is what you do. And realize quickly that it, that's not how it works uh, with all cancers. And so, and and not one cancer is the same as another cancer as another cancer. You know, yeah. liver cancer is different than pancreatic, than. You know whatever they're all different they're all unique and then there's several kinds of breast cancer and several kinds of other cancers so uh i had no background in that whatsoever so figuring out choices like one of the choices i had to make was um the tumor that i had was on one side and so one of my choices was to have a mastectomy or or a double mastectomy have them both removed yeah. And we were sitting at the dinner table and I said, Guy, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to make these choices. Yeah. And one of my sons, my son, Paul said, mom, would you put new siding on just half the house? And I thought, oh, good point, son. <laughs> yeah, there's my answer. <laughs> yeah, so, but, but there are these choices that you have to make. And uh, so that, that surprised me about it all, yeah. but, but in the end, my cancer, very, uh, easy to deal with. You know, I did have the double mastectomy. I had other surgeries, um, uh, but I got through it fine. I'm doing great. And, um, I just now call them blue cross and blue shield and <laughs> we'll forever be saluting, you know, whatever, one of the perks, I guess, of uh, the double mastectomy and reconstruction. So,
0: <laughs> Oh boy. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so just when you when you st- started saying you guys were at, at the dinner table, like I I don't I don't know if you caught it, but I smirked a little. But I was like, I, I just didn't picture that's where the conversation
1: happened,
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, like over dinner. <laughs> so. Right. All right. So so now, how much fear is there of it coming back?
1: Well, uh, at first there was quite a bit. At first, I was really nervous about it. You know, the first couple of years, I was like, ah, oh, you know, if I felt anything, if I, whatever. And then I realized I can't live in that fear. Yeah. I, I can't live in it. You know, like it makes great sense to have annual physicals and go to a doctor that you know is good and that you trust and you've got confidence in, you know, those are important things. Um, I found out uh, through a subsequent, I also had to have a complete hysterectomy and found out at that time um, so just a couple months out of my mastectomy, uh, because of the kind of cancer I had, I had to have a complete hysterectomy and found out that I had bladder cancer, oh. uh, but that's al- also easy to deal with. I go once a year for a uh, bladder biopsy and most of the time it's good. And if it's not, they take whatever out and all is well. So I learned quickly that living in that fear is so unproductive. Like, you know, take the, live each day, enjoy it, get the most out of every day, you know, don't take it for granted, but also don't live in this fear of, of, oh my word, you know, I could at any time be diagnosed with whatever. Well, that takes away from life, right? That's not living.
0: Yeah. Like in, in that regard, I tell people, you know, every time you get in your car, there's a chance you can crash and die, but who thinks of it that way? (laughs) you know nobody does when i get in my car i'm i'm 100 confident i'm gonna reach my destination (laughs) you know so like whenever i have those conversations about about fear that's the first thing i go to like when you leave this gym like there's no doubt in your mind you're gonna get home but it does happen out there you know Mm -hmm. crashes do happen but no one thinks like that so You know, I'm glad, glad that you were able to move past that, that fear. So, so you can just stay in the moment, stay, stay present, you know? So so how much, so how much time after your diagnosis was your husband's diagnosis?
1: It was only four months later. He, right away uh, after I was diagnosed, he had stomach issues. And went to the doctor and the doctor said, oh, take some Rolaids, you know, it's because of Kim's cancer, you're just nervous, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. And then a couple months later, went back to the doctor because he still was having issues. And again, the doctor, you know, I'm sure that this is what it is, but made an appointment for him two months after that at a gastro specialist. Okay. And he happened to go to that doctor the day before I was having a colonoscopy and hysterectomy. Oh. And if you've ever had a colonoscopy, you're too young for it, Robert.
0: Oh, if I've had have, two.
1: Oh, you have? Okay. So <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> you know, you're not going anywhere the day before. Yeah. You're staying home the day yep. before. So <laughs> the day before, I couldn't go to that doctor with him. And he went, went on his own saw a PA which nothing against PAs it's just not what we expected and again was told you know take some tums and left it at that and um and if I would have been there I'm the mouth I would have been pushing Mm -hmm. for a test I would have been pushing for something so I was so sad that it happened that way and then um I had my surgery and found out about the bladder cancer so it ended up being a little more extensive surgery than it would have been and so a week later, a week to the day later, I was still in my pajamas watching Grey's Anatomy reruns and, you know, whatever. I woke up in the morning and uh, my husband said he hadn't slept the night before because his stomach was bothering him so much. Yeah. And I said, well, you need to go to the ER because they'll run a test. They'll do something. You know, they'll look and they'll, they'll try to find out what's going on for sure. Yeah. And so he drove himself to the emergency room. And uh, he was a rule follower. And so we turned off his cell phone because you weren't supposed to use them back then and in, mm-hmm. in the emergency room. And so I'm waiting, waiting, waiting and finally get a phone call. And he said, well, I, I guess they're going to keep me overnight. And I'm like, keep you overnight. Like, what is that? They don't keep you overnight. And it was a Friday. Yeah. Keep you overnight on a weekend. Like, what is going on? And so I put on clothes, real clothes hopped in my car in my Vicodin induced state, drove like a madman all the way down to the hospital. And shortly before I got there, my phone rang again. And it was my husband. And he said, "Um, I guess there's a spot on my liver. I'm like, spot on your liver? I just started bawling. I was crying and crying. And I got to the hospital somehow. I parked my car. I ran in holding all parts of my body and found out where he was went to where he was and whipped back the curtain. And here he was sitting on the edge of the bed like nothing was going on. And I'm... And you're a mess. I'm a mess. And he's just sitting there casually. And I, I look at him and he said, listen, I am not going to invite you out anymore if this is the way you're going to behave. <laughs> and I said, buddy, you are not allowed to be funny right now. This <laughs> is not funny. So anyway, he was admitted... Uh, tests run, et cetera. You know, it takes a few days to get a, a diagnosis that first they thought colon cancer and then found out that it, it wasn't colon cancer. It was pancreatic cancer. And okay. his father had actually died uh, two years before was diagnosed two years, almost to the day before my husband and died two years uh, almost to the day before my husband um, with the same cancer, with pancreatic cancer. So we knew wow. about pancreatic cancer and what kind of a diagnosis that was.
0: Okay. So you were only, you, you said four weeks from getting your own breast cancer four. Di- diagnosis. Four months. Four, four four months. months. Okay. Four, yeah. four months. Yep. All right. right. And so so now, so you're in the midst of your own battle, and then you find out that your husband now has pancreatic cancer. So, mm-hmm. So again- obviously I can tell the emotions were there, but like, but what was going through your mind?
1: Oh, it was horrible. It was, it was awful. Like any concern I had for anything I was dealing with was out the window. Like I I just put anything I had to do on hold and to, to just be with him and, um, and he hadn't been feeling well. And so uh, I, I had been running a nonprofit organization at the time he and, and I resigned because of, I couldn't do that job and deal with my own cancer. Yeah. And so I had resigned a few months prior. He was running um, a couple of our businesses. And uh, one of my sons came over and said, hey, don't worry about it. You guys stay home. I'll, I'll watch over the businesses. You know, don't worry about a thing. And so uh, that's what we did. And so we were together, you know, just um, actually had a, Pretty fantastic six weeks. Um, my husband was a very faithful man. He was the guy that would get up at five o'clock in the morning and pray and read his Bible and a devotional, and and he just uh, chased God his whole life. Yep. And um, he was not afraid. He had no fear of of dying, yep. and he had no self pity, none whatsoever. I would cry. I would start crying and he would hold me and say, don't cry for me. Don't cry for me. You know, cry for yourself because you still have to do this thing. And uh, but don't cry for me. And and we were told when he was diagnosed that probably a year. And uh, so we never expected six weeks. But our prayer from the very beginning was, Lord, either, either heal him like you did the lame and the blind, you know, and back in biblical times, um, heal him like that. Give him this miraculous healing or the greatest miracle of all and, and bring him to heaven. But, but don't let him suffer. Don't let him suffer. And our prayer was answered. We had this fantastic six weeks. And then on a Saturday night, he was not feeling so great. We called the hospice nurse. She came over and and upped his meds a little bit to make him comfortable. Woke up on Sunday morning early and was couldn't even talk, was just not himself. And again, I called the hospice nurse and and she came over and she's ordering a hospital bed and she's ordering all this stuff. And I'm saying, should I call my kids? You know, whatever. I've got a son in the Navy. Do I call him? You know, do I get my kids here? And she's oh no, 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 you've got time, you've got time, you've got time. Well. I was sitting behind him. He was sitting on the edge of the bed and I was sitting behind him, holding him so that he wouldn't fall off the bed. I was just worried he'd fall off the bed. And so I was just hanging on to him and could tell that he was just absolutely miserable. And I just, I whispered in his ear, I said, baby, you can go. And he took his last breath and that was it. Wow. And so the only suffering he had really was during that time. Uh, So our prayer was definitely answered.
0: That can choke me up over here.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Wow. So, from all right. So to to recap. So, he had pains in his stomach. He went to the doctor multiple times, and the doctors told him take some tums. So, if he passed six weeks later, he he must have been in a pretty advanced stage. So, do do you hold any animosity towards the doctors?
1: You know, I really don't because by that point in time, you know, had he even been diagnosed four months earlier, it wouldn't have changed a thing. Yeah. It just would have given four more months of, 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 I don't know, whatever it would have given, you know, yeah. four more four more months of knowing that you're going to die, I guess. Yeah. And um, so, uh, but, but by then, before, by the time you have any symptoms with that, it's in advanced stages. So yeah. there's there's nothing. At this point in time, there's nothing. My son is working on that. My son, the cancer researcher, is working on it. But at this point in time, there's, there's just nothing, really.
0: Boy, oh, boy. All right. So for those just tun- tuning in, this is Kim. So she is a breast cancer survivor. And four months after her diagnosis, her husband was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer cancer. And sadly, he passed away six weeks after that diagnosis. So from all of those trials and tribulations, and great job getting through all that, by the way. I told you, you were choking me up over here. I'm like, stay, stay, stay calm, stay calm, stay calm. (laughs) So so well done. So now through all of that, you said you started writing. So what kind of things were you writing?
1: Yeah, so I was writing, um, I was writing about how I was feeling. I was writing about um, how hopeful everything was. I was writing about um, how to look at life differently, how I looked at life differently, uh, writing about, you know, the, some of the stuff that was going on, but, but on a much deeper level, not just uh, walking through it, but the, you know, what I felt in my heart and my soul and my bones and, and um and then going through what I went through with my husband, who I adored, and losing him at such a young age when, when I fully expected, like you were talking earlier about you get in your car and you expect to get to your destination. Like, of course, that's what you expect. Well, I fully expected to be that couple in rockers drinking lemonade, you know, when we're 95 years old, right? And I uh, never expected. That at 47, that he was 51, that at 51, I would you would be gone. And at 47, I would be alone. Um, just never in my wildest dreams did I ever think that something like that would happen. You know, it's, it's kind of like it's something that happens to other people somehow. Yeah. But you don't think it's going to happen to you.
0: So besides the writing, what else did you do to get you through that that period? Because, you know, I, I lost my dad a couple of years ago. And just watching my mom navigate, life they were together 52 years, 53 years, something like that. And just watching my mom navigate life solo, like there were things that dad just did, you know, like where it's now at, she she just turned 70 uh, last month and she's like, you know, I don't know how to do X, Y, Z because your father always did it, (laughs) you know, you know, so like, did you, like, how was your adjustment to not having them there?
1: Well, some stuff really pissed me off. Yeah. Like I didn't change light bulbs. <laughs> that was his. Yeah. Job. <laughs> <Yeah>. Every every <laughs> trash day, I was mad taking that trash to the curb. Yeah, it was. I, I never took the trash to the curb. I never got my oil changed. Mm-hmm. My husband always took the car to get the oil changed. I never sat there and got my oil changed. Like the yeah, if something broke in the house, you know whatever. Like I, I I wasn't ever mad at him ever. Yeah. Like, I never begrudged him because he was so wonderful. I couldn't ever find it in myself to be angry at him, yeah. you know, which is supposed to be one of the stages of grief that I just never went through. I just was never angry with him, but angry at the situation. that like, here yeah. I am, you know, and and now what do I do? You know, my kids have grown. They're out of the house. Something needs to be fixed. I mean, that. yeah, at first I was pretty angry, but then – I learned. I learned because I was with some friends, and we got a flat tire at eleven o'clock at night in the dark on the side of the road on the highway. Nobody's driving by. Nobody stopped. The couple that did drive by, nobody stopped to help. And I went, you know, doggone it, I can do this. Mm -hmm. So I got out the tire and I got out the jack and got out the Mm -hmm. book from the glove department. You know, glove compartment and. Just figured it out, and I changed the tire. I changed the tire. And that was so empowering. I can now, I can fix a toilet. I just put a tile backsplash in my kitchen all by myself. I can, I've I've changed light fixtures. Like, you can learn how to do anything on YouTube. And now I'm proud of that. Now I'm proud of my alone skills, you know, things that I can do. I've got tools. I love tools like it's, you know, it's good. It's empowering. It's, it feels good to be able to do stuff.
0: Yeah. That reminds me when uh, my, my oldest son, he was 13 or 14 months. I want to say, and his mom just left us like gone. Like we didn't know she was gone until she was like on the way. <laughs> and so, and so how, like, I so I come home from, from work. Well, I left work and I went to, to the babysitter's. And I'm saying now I was like your stereotypical man, you know. I was working ten to fourteen hours a day. I didn't know when the kid ate. I didn't know what size his diapers were. I didn't know medicine schedule. Like I don't know any of that stuff. And I was like, oh my god, I'm like I suck as a parent, <laughs> you know. But but it's like okay, all right. You don't suck as a parent. Just at the time, like she was staying at home, like you know that's what she did. I went to work, and that's what I did. <laughs> so now mm-hmm. I was thrust into this world that like um. I have to get up at two in the morning to change this kid. (laughs) It's like my whole world flipped like literally overnight, you know? So I know it's a different extreme, but you know, the outcome is the same. It's like, wow, I had to, I had to rethink life all over again. And I ended up letting myself go the one time in my life I was overweight, but then it hit me just kind of like changing that tire. It hit you. Like it hit me. I was like, you know what? Like this, this isn't me. You know, like this this is not me. I'm like, I'm an athlete. I'm like, you were an elite athlete. Like you were damn near an Olympian. And here you are forty-five pounds overweight. I was like, hell no. No, and, and like I cleared I cleared my apartment of all junk food. I joined the gym up up, up the road. I went out and bought a jogging stroller and I, I reclaimed who I was and integrated the kid in, into my world. <laughs> you know, instead of the other way around. Because, you know, pe- people become parents and then they put their whole world on the back burner. The next thing you know, the kids grow up and now you're stuck in, in a sea of regret, <laughs> you know, because you weren't taking care of yourself, you know, throughout the process, you know, so. Yeah, being, so true. Yeah. yeah. So, so with that be, be, being said, so, all right, so you changed that tire and then how did you start turning things around?
1: Yeah, I mean, that was, a, it, it was like this light bulb experience for me, you know, that, that, okay, I can do anything like I, you know, it doesn't, gender should pay no, uh, no mind at all into what you can and cannot do like with you, with your kids. Yeah. It was her role for sure. I mean, that she was a stay at home mom. And of course moms, moms do certain things and dads do certain things, but when you become a single parent, you got to be mom and dad. So, you know, I became a single woman. I had to be, husband and wife so to speak like I just had to do it you know I I had to make it work
0: yeah all right so now you take all of these writings and so when did you decide to to make a book to write a book
1: well I was really kind of pushed into it it's kind of funny but I had friends that would say oh this should be a book this should be a book and like I said you know 5,000 people were reading my emails and so you know people were obviously getting things out of it and I was getting Emails from people all over the world who were reading my emails and telling me what they meant to them. And, and so I had a friend in the publishing business who uh, helped me put it together. And and um, I self-published to begin with and then was picked up by a publisher. So Cry, Cry Until You Laugh is the name of that book. And so it's been out on the market for a while.
0: And how did you choose that name? I mean, I'm sure I can figure out why, but I just, I want to hear it in your words.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, titling anything is, is something to really think about. Right. But, um, but, but I think it's just such a great life metaphor. Like, uh, you know, laugh until you cry, of course, is, you know, we all know that, but, but you also have to laugh again after you cry, sad cry. Right. So, um. Figuring out, you know, crying, but then figuring out how to laugh again, uh, is is really what it's about.
0: And and realizing that it's okay to laugh.
1: Yes, having permission, like when you lost your dad, how long was it for you? I mean, I like when I lost my mom, I lost my dad now uh, five years ago, and um, and there's this feeling of. Uh, man, you better be somber. Like you, you almost feel like you're being disrespectful, right? If you go on living or, or laugh or whatever, like, you know, you catch yourself laughing and go, "Mm -hmm. I'm supposed to be mourning. Like, am I allowed to do that? But you have to give yourself permission. Like, what was it for you with your dad?
0: Well, we had, we had the benefit of knowing that he was going to die. He had stage four heart failure Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: so we 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 knew it was coming so it's like we weren't blindsided like my my aunt passed away the, the year prior and she had she had cancer also i believe she had colon cancer and her boyfriend thought she was sleep sleeping in and then come to find out she had passed in her sleep you know so like that's a different level of acceptance when you're completely blindsided but like we we knew we were there when they ended care. Like we all got to say we all got to say goodbye. But what did it for me? Like yesterday was actually the two year anniversary of his passing, and you know, so like I opened the show with a little tribute to him. And typically I can speak about him without without really getting choked choked up. But I made a video tribute, so just seeing him and seeing that smile again, you know, it kind of kind of brought tears to my eyes. But but what what did it for for me was that. He always said, "Like he doesn't want to be one of these ninety-year-olds with an oxygen tank, and he can't build." Because he's an engineer, he likes using his hands. And so he always told us, "Like the, when I can't build anymore, that's when it's going to be my time." And so as he was getting sick, you know, like he would call me to to, to go to go to their house to like help him carry something that was so heavy, but it was like 30 pounds. <laughs> you know, <And> so, <laughs> so like, I know like to his core that that was literally killing him that he, that he just couldn't do that on his own. So the fact that he passed when he did, and even if he, if he survived a little longer, he would have went into 2020 and then he would have been solo, you know, cause he passed in November of 2019. Mm. So he, he went at a perfect time. You know, as bad as it sounds, but you know he was almost eighty. You know he lived lived a full life. Life like I'm the youngest of seven kids. You know, so like he had all seven of us. You know, stayed out of trouble. I had, had had that one brother that dabbled a little, but for, for the most part, we all stayed out of trouble. And, and you know, we've all gone on to do to do good things. So his ending it was what he wanted. You know, so like he didn't he didn't really suffer. You know he yeah so he was able. Really, my son is, is a mechanic. He and my son fixed my, my mom's car the day before he went to the hospital. <laughs> you know, so it's wow. like, you know, you, you, you couldn't have scripted that any better. And there were three generations of us around him. We all got to say goodbye, hug him, tell him we love him. And, you know, my mom sang sang their, their song to him. You know, then we turned off the monitor and, uh, you know, we watched him move on.
1: Wow. You know wow
0: yeah so so to answer your question I I had accepted the fact that it was coming you know so when we did the memorial for him too like people were asking how's 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 Rob how's Robert How, how's Robert and and I walked in and I was all smiles and people were like hey you're like you know your your dad's over here in the box you know because he wanted to be to be cremated I said I know I said he got the ending he wanted I was like, this isn't about me and how I feel about it. Like I I have, I'm grateful that he got what he wanted. Mm. So that's how I was able to, and I'm still able to deal with it. I have moments, you know, I have moments, like I'll hear a Smokey Robinson song because he loved him from Smokey Robinson. So like I'll hear a Smokey Robinson song and and I'll just picture him sitting in his chair, you know, drinking his beer, singing.
1: (laughs) Yeah, what a beautiful attitude. I mean, honestly, what a beautiful gift that you're giving your dad to allow him to um, just give you great memories and not, you know, not, not anger or bitterness or whatever.
0: I, oh, keep, I keep him everywhere. So oh, this God. is, this is in my office. I have pictures of him in my room upstairs. He's on the dashboard of my car. <laughs> you know, yeah. so like he's He's definitely not, not forgotten at all.
1: Right. Right. What a beautiful gift. What a beautiful gift you're giving yourself as well.
0: Thank you. Yeah, that. yeah, that's awesome. All right. So let's talk about your first book. I know you have a new one launching ne- next week, but let's talk about the first book. What What was the name again?
1: Cry Until right. You Laugh.
0: That's right. Cry Until You Laugh. Yeah. So, mm. all right. So you said, you know, so people were telling you that that you should. So what was the process like going through it? Because I figured you had to relive things that you went through already. So what yeah. was that like for you getting it down?
1: Right. Well, really, the writing, though, was, um, you know, I started when I was diagnosed and I continued to write through my husband's diagnosis, through my husband's passing, um, through dealing with the stuff that I had to deal with after that. And for several more months, I wrote for a bit over a year. And so I didn't go back and rewrite anything. It was just all the writings that I did then. Yeah. So it wasn't a uh, reliving. It was all just living it in the moment.
0: Okay. Yeah. Nice. So, yeah. All right. So what do you want readers of the book to take away from it?
1: Um, that there is joy to be found. That that's something you get to pick. You don't get to pick what happens to you. You don't get to pick whether or not you have cancer. You know, there's very few cancers that are self-inflicted. My dad had mesothelioma. That's how he oh, had. Because yeah. he was in the Navy and there was asbestos that he slept right under. But there's very few cancers like that. You know, it there's just a chink in the armor, you know, something in your genetic code that that makes you susceptible to certain things. And and so I didn't pick having cancer. I wouldn't pick my husband having cancer. I wouldn't pick losing him ever. Um, But I do get to pick how I live life. I do get to pick if I'm going to live in mourning or if I'm going to live in joy. I do get to pick if I'm going to just be sorrowful or be happy. I I do get to pick how I'm going to impact the world.
0: Yes. I love it. Love it. Because now I would never tell anyone how to grieve. You know, def, def, definitely not. But I just try to try to impress upon people, like you just said, what impact do you want to leave? Because once you remove the situation from just yourself and you make it bigger than yourself, and now I'm no the licensed therapist. I'm just talking about what works for me mm-hmm. and what, what I help other people work through, is that once you make it bigger than just yourself, it it actually helps the healing process. You know, like, again, going, going back to my dad, say, you know what, this is what he wanted, you know? So it's like, am I going to be sad because he got what he wanted? <laughs> like, when you, yeah. when, you, when you think of it that way, you know, it's like, you know, Rob, you're being kind of selfish here. <laughs> it's, like, yeah. it's like, this is, he got what he wanted. How can you be sad about that? You know, so it's like I can talk about him and have the smile on, on my face. It's like, yeah, do I miss him in person? Of course. Do I miss hearing, hearing his voice? Of course. You know, do I miss those tough life lessons he always gave? Of course. You know, watching sports with him. Of course. You know, him coming to my kids' sporting events. You know, having him in the stands cheer, cheering them on. Yeah, of course I miss all of that. But at some point, we all gotta go. Right. <laughs> you know, you right. know, so so like i was telling telling my siblings i was like guys it's like every family goes through this at some point it's our turn you know what mm-hmm. i mean it's our turn and hope hopefully not for a while at some point it's gonna be mom's turn <laughs> you know it's, it's, it's like we can't be naive to think that they're all gonna live to be 120 mm-hmm. <laughs> you know so right. like just to start start accepting it now and <laughs> you know, also that way it's not so much of a shock down, down the road
1: yeah yeah so true so true yeah pick pick make your choices make the choices you want to make and make them good
0: right yes. it's like so for my father's 70th birthday we did well it was actually six months after his birthday but anyway so for his 70th birthday we, we were having a family reunion and i went to my mom and i was like why do we wait till people die to say nice things about them i was like why don't we do a living eulogy for Dad?" and first they were all like what <laughs> like, like like my my siblings everybody thought I thought i was crazy i was like no like i think we should get a cake and everybody should come up to, to the mic because like my brother lo- lo was a dj so we, he always had his dj set up i said like, we should all come up to the mic and tell dad what, what we feel about him you know because like there had been a bunch of Young of uh, younger deaths in our family with with his his siblings, you know he was I think he was one of eleven I want to say, but like there were a bunch of people who died young. So, so again, like I said, I'm not going to take for granted that he's going to live to be a hundred. I was like, but let's tell him while he's here. <laughs> and so, what a
1: great idea! What a yeah. beautiful idea! Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so we we did that, and at first he's like, "Why are you trying to kill me off?" <laughs> and I was like, "No, like we want you to hear from us, you know, while you're here." <laughs> Right, right. That so, is
1: a great idea. Everybody should do that.
0: Yes. I should start that business, damn it. Yeah. Yes, we should. Yeah,
1: go on tank. And yes, exactly.
0: I love it. So, um, all right. So, what was the motivation for write, writing the second book?
1: Well, I uh, needed to figure out what I was going to do with life, you know, this new life, this new single life that I was living. And um getting through my health stuff and whatever and i uh, I ended up uh, becoming part-time bookkeeper, uh, like I said earlier to a, a nonprofit organization that my father and I actually had started ten years before that yep. and somebody else was running and uh twelve year twelve days after I started that job, there was an earthquake in Haiti that killed two hundred thousand people. Mm. So two weeks after that, I was in Haiti. And I spent most of the seven next seven years in Haiti. And uh, Haiti is a whole different place. It's it's the hardest. I've worked in a lot of countries, and it is the hardest country to work in. It's the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. There's always political unrest. There's always hard things going on. There's hurricanes. There's earthquakes. There's um, poverty beyond any level that anyone living in this country can possibly imagine. And it's it's a tough place to live with the most resilient people, with the most resilient, loving, kind, incredible people. And um, I questioned love after losing my husband. I, yeah. You know, what is love really? You know, it's not like you go to the store and you buy a manual on love, or there's no love for dummies, right? Like <laughs> yeah. you, you learn love from your parents, from people around you, and a lot of what we learn isn't right. It's not good love, you know. Yeah. It's not really love. But 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 then, what is love really? And so I decided I would dedicate a full year. And it, I'm a slow learner, so it took me a little bit longer mm-hmm. than a year, yeah. but um, a full year to really figuring out what love is and how to live it, how to walk in it. So I took this 2000 year old poem that you hear at every wedding. Love is patient. Love is kind. Doesn't that envy, doesn't boast, et cetera, Right. Yeah. And I took it one word at a time and to figure out, well, what is love that is patient? What is love that is kind? And it was so enlightening, Robert. Like I had no idea what I was getting myself into because I thought I knew, I know what patience is, you know, everyone knows what patience is. You're not honking your horn in traffic, right? You're not mad because you're ready to go and they're not ready to go, that's patience. But what I figured out is when you put love is or love is not in front of those words, it changes the definition and it's not a definition like Noah wrote in the dictionary. It's, It's completely different than that. And so it was very life changing, very enlightening. And uh, so that that is the book then is it's um, each chapter is one of the words. There's 14 in that poem. There's 14 different words that love is or love isn't. And uh, so each chapter, I just kind of start out with what I think it's going to be. And then the story of how I get there the story of how I figure out what it really means, what the true meaning really is. And um, so it's uh, stories from Haiti and stories from wherever I happened to be at the time. And I was chased by a motorcycle gang. I got lost on a mile high mountain. I had to sleep outside where tarantulas and snakes were everywhere listening to voodoo drums. Like I went through some incredible experiences some very harrowing experiences i mean hopefully there's people find humor uh because i had to laugh at a lot of it or go a little crazy i think Mm -hmm. but um so i tell the stories of of how i arrived at at the conclusions that i got to so that's that's what the book is and yeah
0: snakes Uh, i don't know
1: snakes tarantulas. Super I don't know what's out there. Whatever's
0: out there, <laughs> snakes is like one of the one things I fear in this world. Oh boy, I went. I, I went to a fitness conference. I'm just going to shift gears quick, quickly. I went to a fitness conference in New Mexico, and so now I'm aware that there's venomous snakes out there, but but I went anyway. You know, this is kind of one of those out of sight, out of mind things. Mm-hmm. And so we we get up in the morning. We're doing our morning, our morning PT. And as we're running, so now my mentor, he had tore up his ankle in a motorcycle accident. So he was behind us in an ATV. And so as we're running, like he yells for us to stop. And he's like, you guys nearly stepped on an effing rattlesnake. And I was like, don't mess with me because they all know of my favorite snakes. So like they all like to throw, throw little jabs out there. And really? I was like, don't play with me like that. He's like, I'm telling you, he's like it's right here. And so I kind of crept back. I was like, let me see. And sure enough, it was coiled up in one of the little bushes there. And A, I froze for a second. <laughs> and then where we where we were running, I don't know how the guy next to me didn't get struck, because he must have stepped right over it. Oh, but what? it but it but it was way too close to comfort. I packed my bags. I drove the two and a half hours back to Albuquerque (laughs) and I left the conference. (laughs) That's how bad I don't mess with snakes.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, it's funny. During that time, I was working on uh, Love Doesn't Keep Record of Wrongs. It's one of the things that it says, which, you know, makes a lot of sense. But I wasn't sure exactly the meaning. And so during the time I was working on that, I had this experience where I was with eight men from the United States who were interested in a water project I was spearheading in Haiti. And then I brought two Haitian men, friends with me to translate and and whatever to get us to the area. And where we were staying was this uh, small building um, with two rooms, And uh, each room had four twin size beds in it. So there's the eight American men, two Haitian men and me. And the guy who was the head of the American men, he pulled me aside. He said, Kim, Kim, can I talk to you? I'm like, sure. He said, did you see the building? And I'm like, well, there's kind of nothing else to see. So, yeah, I saw it. And and then I went, oh, he's thinking I'm going to want my own room because I'm the only woman. And so I'm going to say, oh, it's okay. I'll sleep outside. And then he'll say, no, no, no. If anybody should sleep inside, it should be you. And I said, well, I don't care. If people sleep in the room with me, we're just in there to sleep, and he'll go, Oh, good, 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 because there's only so many beds. So, played out the scenario in my head. So then I said, Well, that's okay. I'll sleep outside. And he went, Oh, good, good, good. He said, Because we have men here who would not be comfortable sleeping with a woman in their room. And I'm thinking, What do you sleep naked? Like, what what is (laughs) the deal? I I don't. I'll wear something to bed. Like, you know, what's going to happen? Yeah. I, I had no idea. So I had to look around and figure out where I was going to sleep. And I saw this piece of plywood and then there were two sort of Haitian workhorses, you know, whatever. So I put the plywood over because I wanted to be protected in case it rained. Mm-hmm. And we did bring an air mattress with us. And so the air mattress kept air for about an hour a night. Oh, no! And it was loud, loud, loud. The dogs barking and the horns honking and it was really loud and, and, and I feared snakes or tarantulas or yeah. something would crawl on me in the night, right? Yeah. And so I kind of was sleeping on high alert, like that I wouldn't jump if I felt something. And and so uh, then things, so the noise would quiet down a bit, but then the voodoo drums would start, start in the distance. And then finally the voodoo drums would stop and then I'd get some sleep in the early, early morning. And so the first night, fine, you know, I just prayed, please, nothing, nothing crawl on me. Second night, I woke up because there was something on my leg and I went, oh my word, you've got to be kidding me. What can this possibly be? And I slowly lifted my head and opened my eyes to see what it was. Mm -hmm. And it was a chicken There was a dang chicken on my leg. I didn't
0: think that's where you were going.
1: (laughs) I was so mad that this chicken woke me up because I was getting no sleep. But then I was so relieved that it wasn't your sleep (laughs) or a tarantula or something worse. And, uh, And so anyway, so I was a little bitter, you know, that that this is how I was being treated. I was bitter, more bitter at the moment that the eight American men slept inside and they didn't even draw straws for the Haitian guys. They just figured the Haitian guys would sleep outside. Yeah. And there was this, um, like this was uh, a covering that they were able to sleep under and they had cots, but I was like, geez, you know, why, why, why are you making that assumption that bothered me, but, but it also bothered me. I just thought, gosh, I hope my sons wouldn't behave this way. Right. Mm-hmm. To make a woman sleep outside. Like there wasn't, you know, I mean, we could have fit all the beds in the rooms but anyway.
0: Yeah, that was my first thought. Like, I, I wouldn't have let you, uh, I don't want to say let you, but, you know, like I would have volunteered to sleep outside.
1: Yeah, right, right, right. But, but not one of them did. You know, they all just kind of went with the leader. So at first, for a while, I was like, this is wrong. Like, how did your mamas raise you? Like, this <laughs> just isn't right. And, but then I was working on love doesn't keep record of wrongs. And I realized that I could be bitter about that. But here these guys are coming over there. They did end up getting involved in this water project. They did end up helping so many people with clean water, which is a huge issue around the world, huge issue in Haiti. It saves lives. Clean water saves lives. They had the right intentions. They had great hearts. They were wonderful men, great guys. And, and you know, this was a choice that they made. But then I realized that that I don't keep a record of wrongs because love doesn't, Mm -hmm. but I'm not going to ever forget that story, but the narrative changes, the mood of it changes. Now to me, it's just this funny thing that happened to me. I can sleep anywhere in the world and be comfortable. Like (laughs) it's all good. You know, I, I don't mind sharing this story because, because I think it's funny, you know, looking back at it. And so I'm not bitter, you know, that that's love. That doesn't keep a record of wrongs. That, they did nothing wrong in my eyes. You know, that's not the story. That's not the story in my head anymore. It was, but it's not anymore because love doesn't do that.
0: Love that. All right. So we're, we're at time, but, but I still have another, another question for you. So I had a guest on the show a while ago. She, she does missions trips down in Africa and she was, she's painted a similar story as you, you, a a similar picture as you did for, for Haiti with, with the poverty, you know, like the lack of clean water, lack of resources. But she said that that the people living there were just so full of love and joy, you know? And so when you were saying about everything with Haiti, but they're the most resilient people. So, like, what was it like observing that?
1: It, it was humbling. It was so humbling because here... I have everything. I mean, we have everything, right? I mean, I've got a car, I've got a place to live. I've got, shoot, I'm throwing rotten tomatoes away from yeah. my refrigerator, you know? And, and, and the average Haitian eats three times a week. Wow. And yeah, it lives on less than a dollar a day. I mean, you know, it's unimaginable for us, right? Like, you know, well, I've got probably $20 in my couch, you know, mm-hmm. if I, <laughs> Emptied it out, and and here they are. But uh, so to see that money doesn't bring you joy, things don't bring you joy, things don't increase your relationship. Money doesn't make you a better person. None of that stuff matters. You know, again, it kind of goes back to the choices you make in life, and to see that kind of resilience when you know we're crying over a, a toe that we've stubbed or. Or shoot, we're out of commission for a while because we sprained our ankle. Or Oh my God, my phone
0: broke. I'm not going to have a phone for like three days, like FML.
1: Right. Exactly. Yeah, and we're unfriending people on Facebook because we have a computer yes. and we have internet so we can have Facebook. You know, the silly things, right, the silly things that upset us don't upset people that that have things in the right perspective and realize what life's really about. Yeah, and when so you're true. living in conditions where life is t- that tough, that hard, man, you better have good perspective. Yes, You better have your stuff together. And, and they do. You
0: know, I think, I think the biggest issue with social media, and I get it because this is being broadcast on multiple so- social media platforms. So, so it's like, I get it. But it's like people let other people's situations enrage them. You know, it's like that's where your own joy gets sucked out on out something that somebody else posts. You know, so what? on on my laptop and on my desktop here, there's there's an app called Newsfeed Eradicator, and so what that does is so when I log on because with my fitness clients and stuff and with my my speak like I have multiple groups that that I manage, so when I log on, it takes away the newsfeed. You know, so like I don't I don't get caught up reading other people's stuff. You know, and and I know, like we're we're sidetracking here, but in, in speaking about about joy, like you have to safeguard yours. You know, like that's what we're. But we we let other people influence our mood, and it's one of those things like that. That saying, that saying, I always hear like uh, like my attitude depends on yours. I'm like that's that's. I, I hate that quote. It's so stupid. Because, like, so basically, what you're saying is everybody around you has power over your emotions.
1: Right, right. It <laughs> makes no sense. And I'll tell you, the the biggest thing I learned about love is that love is complete and total freedom. Yes. When you love the way you're supposed to love, you are free to just be yourself. You are free to let other people be themselves. You are free to be happy for people for what they have, be happy for what they accomplish. You're, you're just free to just love. And so you're not looking at Facebook and going, oh, geez, they got a new car. Oh, my word, they're moving to a bigger house. You know, you're not, oh, my gosh, they're bragging about their kids again. You know, whatever it is. Yeah. No, you're you're free to just go, good for them. I'm happy for them. They're living their life and you let them live their life you're just free to do that when you, when you really love the way you're supposed to love.
0: Yeah, and that's where, like, you remember life, like, when we grew up but before the computers and before, you know, when the big old phone up on the wall and, and all that, so with, the, <laughs> with, the, with the rotary dial and all that. But back then, you weren't so easily accessible you know, like you weren't in, everybody wasn't in your business. You weren't in everybody else's business. Like you were actually free to just be you. So now Mm -hmm. when you're just you and being on a platform like this, you know, like we're talking about inspirational stuff on this show, but I do another show where I talk about controversial stuff. And then just, just how nasty people get over differing of opinions, you know, it's like, why? It's like, what, what is in your heart that you have to be so nasty just because we have opposing views? You know, like, right. if, like, if your ideal vacation is going to the beach, and mine is climbing a mountain, you know, we have two different de- definitions, we can still be cool. Right. And <laughs> that's, you know. that's
1: it. It's not, it's not bad. It's just different. Yes. Right. But, <laughs> exactly. but we're so polarized. We're so, but be, because we put titles on people.
0: Yeah. You know, titles, you Robert people. and
1: Kim. I mean, those are the only titles we need. Right. Yes. Who cares our political party? And don't don't group us into certain groups. You know, yep. none of that stuff matters. People yep. are allowed to have whatever opinion they want. And and if you love them, let them. And if you yes. love them, you might learn a little something. You might learn them and learn something.
0: Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and, and even with today's discussion, you know, both of us you know, brought up things that were hurtful to us, but you have to sometimes re- revisit that and you get the teachable moments from it. It's like, like you were talking about leaving an impact. Like I can get up here and just be all self-centered and wo- woe is me, you know, I lost my dad and and it's all about, about me. It's like, no, it's like, you know, you want to talk about those those teachable moments. It's like, what did him getting sick through his passing, like, what did we learn throughout that process? You know, it's like, what other nuggets did he leave behind before his passing? You know, because one of the last things I said to him was, I'm going to pursue speaking, and I'm going to start my podcast. And he was like, make, just make sure you get it done. He's like, don't just talk about it, make sure you get it done. Mm. You know, and then COVID came and shut everything down. (laughs) <laughs> you know, so, so i had speaking gigs all lined up you know like paid speaking gigs and all everything got canceled jim got shut down but what they couldn't shut down was this podcast so so i was able to start this and then i was speaking on virtual stages all over the world right here from my office in rhode island i <laughs> spoke in uh, in thailand in india in australia mexico canada argentina uh, Ireland, the u k, the list, and there's more <laughs> you know, wow. but, but yeah. all, all from from here. So it's about taking that moment. and yeah, not knocking the people that lost their their lives and their worlds were were changed because of the pandemic. but you you have to keep moving forward. <laughs> you know, like you got to keep moving forward. So many gyms closed down, and like, in my heart bleeds for them, but it's because you gave in to what everyone else did. Everyone started doing free classes on Zoom. Mm -hmm. I kept charging for my classes because you pay for me.
1: (laughs) And then there's perceived value in that, right? There is value in that,
0: right? Yeah. You know how many people have home gyms that don't use them? (laughs) Because the accountability isn't there. Like you guys are paying for the accountability. You're still getting it. It's just a different medium, (laughs) you know? Right,
1: exactly. I'll tell you, you know, you're talking about that. That's your dad's legacy. You know, your dad could have said to you, son, you're not a speaker. You shouldn't be doing a podcast. And then maybe you wouldn't have done it. But instead his encouragement and and you knowing how much faith you had in your father and how much respect you had for him, for him to say to you, just make sure you do it. There's no way you're going to let him down. I mean, what you're doing now is your dad's legacy too. Thank you.
0: Good for you. That. That's amazing. Appreciate that. All right, give us some final thoughts.
1: Uh, love everybody. Love the grocery store clerk. Don't get angry and upset. You know, fig- figure out what love is. I, if you want to get my book, you you'll learn a lot about love and and nuggets that you can take and use that can change your life. Um, it's available. Love is is the name of the book. But but even if you don't read my book, love each other. Just just figure out love and love each other. Be kind, be kind and, and love and live a life of joy. Live a life of love.
0: Yes. Love it. Perfect. There's nothing else for me to add on, on, on to that. that. That was great. So thank you very very much. And I believe in full transparency. I forgot about Kim yesterday. She, she was supposed to be on yesterday and I completely forgot. I own my I own my failures. Like I always say on this show, you own your mistakes so i'm owning it i apologize publicly on the podcast but we got her on today had a great conversation her your your new book comes out the 23rd
1: uh yeah actually you can get it now on amazon
0: oh nice nice all right so head to amazon love is is the name and cry until you laugh is her first book that's also out there so show us some love and again thank you very much for joining
1: Robert, thank you so much. I so appreciate everything you do. And this was a blast. Thank you awesome. so much.
0: My pleasure. All right. Have a great day. You too. Bye, right, bye. All right. So that was Kim. Thank you guys for for joining. For those of you that stayed all the way through, props. If you if you're catching us halfway through, make sure you go back, watch the whole thing so you can get the full story. Cause we we shared a lot of powerful, powerful moments in this episode. And why do we do this? We do this for you. If you find yourself stuck in a rut, this is the show for you. If you need a kick in the tail, this is the show for you. Or if you just like podcasts, you just like hearing the sound of my voice, I don't know what it is, this is the show for you. So I will, I will be back, what's today, Friday? I'll be back on Tuesday, and then on December 4th, we will have our fourth All-Star panel. These panels have been rocking so far. So make sure to you your pencil that date in, okay? December 4th at 12 p.m. That's all I got for you. Have a great day.
1: Peace. You've been listening to Shut Up and Grind.